Hey gang, do you find yourself listening to your music on one app and then listening to your podcast on another app? If you do, stop this insane behavior right now and download Spotify. Spotify is home to all of your favorite music and all of your favorite podcasts. Podcasts including Fly on the Wall, the Saturday Night Live podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade, the Rock on Tours podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt, old favorites like Fresh Air, My Favorite Murder, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Look, if you're looking for a news podcast or sports or entertainment or true crime, look, if you're if you're looking for a sewing podcast or an RV podcast, Spotify has all of this for you. That's Spotify, all of your favorite music and all of your favorite podcasts in one place. Find it in your app store and start listening today. That's Spotify, music and podcasts. Let's get down. Hey gang, I want to make a quick announcement. Since we started this podcast in 2011, only the last 20 episodes have been available on the streaming services. You had to go back to the Podbean app or to the website, howdidigethere.podbean.com to access past the 20, last 20 episodes. Well, gang, big surprise. As of now, the last 100 episodes are available on all streaming sites. That includes the From the Vault episodes. All of the episodes, the last 100 episodes from this episode back are available now on all streaming services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast. Go there. It, whichever one you're subscribed to, whichever one you use the most, go subscribe to How Did I Get Here. Follow us, rate us, leave us a comment if you can, and, uh, and check out the episodes, man. Get out there and enjoy the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here on your favorite streaming services. Let's get down. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys all had a good weekend this weekend. Looks like uh, they avoided another government shutdown. That's always good, right? That happened this weekend. <laughs> Hopefully you got you got out there and did some stuff, went out and saw some music. I know, I know there was a lot of music going on everywhere. I was playing with Skyrocket. We played in Houston on Friday at Last Concert Cafe. We did another all 80s show. It was a great time. It wasn't sold out, but it was super packed and it was a fun, fun, fun show. Then the next day, Saturday, I got in the car and went to Hunt, Texas, made a five-hour trek to Hunt, Texas to play a wedding there, a wedding reception. It was fun. It was really fun. I was tired, but uh, but I summoned the energy to play those three sets. So did all of us. I know everyone was tired and pretty wiped out from the night before. Both shows were super hot, and I sweated like crazy. On Saturday night, though, I was uh, I was leaving Hunt, Texas, and it's that's out in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the hill country by Kerrville, and uh, I'm driving down this country road and this fucking hog runs out of nowhere. I came so close to hitting this hog, you guys. I slammed on my brakes and it stopped right in front of me. He's like, and then I was waiting for the hit and it didn't hit. It did not hit. Thank God. Then this, this hog takes off. I was like, Jesus, man, this is insane. Drove another couple miles. Deer runs out in front of me. It didn't hit that either. It was a little less intense, the deer one. But um, Jesus, man, those country roads, be careful out there if you're out there driving, uh, especially in the fall, because for some reason they're all out running around looking for stuff. I guess maybe also looking for water. 
I don't know. Whatever they're doing, they're out there running around at night and they're trying to fuck you up while you're driving. And also, if you hit them, they totally fuck up your car. You know, imagine being in a country road where you're not getting the cell reception and you hit this fat fucking pig with your car because it decides to stop right in front of your car while you're driving down the road. And then your car is broken. You can't get, you know what I mean? You can't get the AAA. Luckily, I was out of there early. I would have had band members coming behind me. I I go through those. I, I go through the doomsday scenarios in my head. I do. I always do. And it's worse when you're by yourself, too, and you got no one to talk to. You're just like all of a sudden, like all I could think about for the next, like basically like 30 minutes was what would have happened if I would have hit that hog or that deer and how I would have gotten myself out of out of uh, Hunt, Texas in the middle of the night. Do I know anybody that lives near there? that I could go crash with just for the night until they could fix my car. What would I do? Who would I call? Do I have that person's number? Do you guys do that? <laughs> Especially when you're like tired and you got a two hour drive, two and a half hour drive ahead of you. It was a long drive home, but I made it, made it home safe and sound. Grabbed Rosie on Sunday from my cousin's house, brought her home. And we just really had to snugly lay around all day, day. We just like slept and snuggled. I watched, uh, I listened to uh, The Truth About Pam. I'd never listened to that, the Dateline podcast thing on the way out there. My cousin had recommended it. I was like, oh, I got this five-hour drive. What's good to listen to? That came one, in one sitting, and she's like, oh, this thing. So I listened to it. It was good. And uh, and so then I, I was like, oh, it's a show too. So I, I started watching the show, and I fell asleep in the first episode and literally yesterday afternoon slept through the entire limited series. I did. I woke up at the end when they're telling you what happened to all the characters in the movie. I didn't start it over again. I was like, well, I already listened to the podcast. I don't, I don't have to watch Renee Zellweger act out this lady's life. But anyway, that was my weekend. I hope you had a good weekend too. Gang, I have a fantastic show for you today. Fantastic show. Boston-based singer-songwriter Jesse DeSilva is my guest today. Their brand new record, Renovations, just came out in July. Gorgeous, gorgeous record. Very heavy record, man. Jesse DeSilva is a non-binary trans person and the child of a preacher whose conservative religion left little room for their own personhood when they were growing up. We had a really good conversation about all that and exactly what that cost dad. You know, dad ended up leaving the church when they found out that their child uh, was different on that level that was uh, being condemned by the church and he refused to condemn his own child from the church uh, or from the pulpit he was asked to leave. He changed his whole trip, changed his mind about how that stuff worked. A beautiful story. Jesse's a beautiful, beautiful person. We have a really great conversation about how they found their people in art after feeling a little bit different, you know, growing up feeling different. I grew up feeling different. I'm not, I'm not gay or, or, or non-binary in any way like that, but there's this art feeling when you're a little bit different. And, and you have like a parent that expects a certain thing from you and a society that expects a certain thing from you. And then you're different. And you find out when you go into art class, drama class, music class, for some reason, that's where they, the rest of the people are. <laughs> the rest of the people that are different. I refer to it as the island of broken toys. You go in there and you find your people. You find your tribe, your folks. This record is, is, is loaded with all kinds of beautiful, beautiful songs about Jesse finding themselves. The songs explore themes of privilege and marginalization, identity and trauma, and reconciling self-image with public perception. It's, it's really a beautiful record, and it helps you uh, see the power in vulnerability 
opening the door for us to find ourselves in moments of both deep resignation and revitalizing triumph. That's from their bio. Great, great, great conversation with Jesse De Silva. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. This record's fantastic. I also want to let you know that Jesse is on tour. Yes, uh, Jesse plays this Thursday in Grafton, Massachusetts at Apple Tree Arts. And then from October 6th to October 10th, they'll be opening for Adeem the Artist. Friday, October 6th in Providence, Rhode Island. Friday, October 7th, Boston, Massachusetts. Saturday, October 8th, Northampton, Massachusetts. And then October 10th in Brooklyn, New York. All opening for Adeem the Artist. You can go to jessedmusic.com to find out all of the, all about Jesse. Find all their tour dates, find their merch, find their music. I had a really great time talking to Jesse. We had a fantastic connection. I felt, I feel like I made a friend on this podcast and I, I hope they feel the same way. Uh, so without further ado, this is my conversation with this amazingly talented artist and beautiful person, Jesse De Silva. Let's get down. Don't want to be a social justice project I got enough work to do myself I don't want to be a pretty penance object So go put that shit on someone else Do you have a manager? No, not right now No? So you're just doing nah. this. You're just doing this solo. You got a publicist to send out stuff for you, and and uh, and you're just kind of on this journey on your own. Yeah, I mean, until until I am lucky enough to maybe find some some representation, but for now, it's it's pretty indie. <laughs> yeah, well, this record is unbelievable, man. It's really you are such a fantastic songwriter. Thank you. Like, yeah, Thanks a lot. And I mean, you say some pretty. Uh, there's some. There's a beautiful way to say bitter things, and you're great at that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so where are you from originally? You're from Boston? Um, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from okay. just outside Philly originally. Okay. What was that? Like, what were you, uh, like, was it a musical household? What were your parents? Like, what kind of world did you live in growing up? Yeah. Um, well, my dad was a Baptist minister, mm. so... That was fun. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, music, yeah, music, music was a big part of it though. Like I, you know, I had an aunt who studied opera and, um, my mom played piano at church sometimes and stuff. But yeah, for sure. There music was important to my family and, you know, my mom played piano at church and, you know, church, even though it wasn't like the greatest thing for like a little, a little queer kid like me. Um, I did, you know, I started, singing and playing piano and doing all that stuff. So it was kind of like an outlet for music for me as a little kid. Um, so, you know, like I would sing at church and I would, I would play piano as I started to get better at it for like the Sunday night services and stuff like that. So you were connecting with music just like, because you loved music. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I think I asked for piano lessons, which is probably a weird thing. I was like five years old. And I think that's unusual, but I think I, I wanted piano lessons because I, you know, I saw my mom playing the piano. We had a piano in the house, a little upright that I would kind of like 
bang on and try to make sounds with. So yeah, it was for sure a thing that I had a vested interest in as a kid. Okay. Um, so in these, like, were you, did you know, like when you were a kid that you were queer and there were, you would sit in these, in these, like, like just like to get that conversation going, like, uh, uh like I have a cousin and, yeah. and, and we grew up in a household where it was like, don't be a faggot was like literally chanted by the men in our family to you as a kid, right? Yeah. Your whole life. And, you know, he grew up and he was queer and, and, you know, he knew it. And there was just always this like over drinks one night. I was just like, how did you like what? Like what? <laughs> how did that affect you? Like, you know, growing up, like it affected me. I'm not queer, but I really kind of hated the fact that these guys were like constantly laying this trip on you. I could only imagine like, yeah. like, uh, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah, something wrong I mean, with it. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think it hurts. I think it hurts everyone, even, even people who aren't queer because it, because the thing about it is, is that like gender and how we express ourselves even aside from sexuality is the spectrum. And I think that we're taught from a really young age that you fall into one of two categories. And so I think that even, even straight uh, cisgender people kind of learn that there are certain ways that they just can't be right. right. Just because of society. I, I mean, I didn't have the language when I was a little kid, you know, I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. Um, and this was like the nineties. Um, so you didn't, you know, I didn't, any representation of queerness that I saw like on TV was usually on like, you know, uh, Maury Povich or, you know, it was usually this right, very right. kind of problematic, yeah. uh, not super positive representation, right. but I, I definitely knew that I was different and I knew that I identified with, um, you know, things that were deemed feminine and, um, you know, a very early on. I think music was kind of music and art. I was also an artistic kid were kind of a way to explore those things, um, kind of safely. Um, you know, I, I remember from a very young age that there was sort of code around making my difference acceptable. Like they would say like, Oh, um, He's but I use they, them pronouns. <laughs> Yeah, I use they, them pronouns yeah, now, but right. I'm going to use he right, because right, that's right, what right. they refer. You know, like, yeah, he's artistic, he's sensitive, you know, he's musical. And, like, those are kind of, like, ways that that I think they could make it, like, more palatable, maybe yeah. for themselves and for and for other people. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it was my dad, I, I remember, so, so in the church that I grew up in, we were in church a lot. Like, on Sundays, it was all day, right? Like, we had morning church. We had a break for like lunch and then we had like maybe youth group or, and then like Sunday evening church and Sunday evening church when I was really little was like sort of Bible study where like my dad would sort of, uh, uh, he did this, this series on like, you know, um, sinful issues of the day. Right. And like each week he would do like one was like abortion and one was like, you know, uh, Satanism because it was during the satanic panic. Right. Right. And then there was one, one week where he talked about like homosexuality and 
you know, it was, like I said, I didn't really have the words to kind of say like, oh, that's me. But it also, you know, kids know and they pick up on those things. And hearing that kind of messaging around people who I feared I was like, um, was, was pretty harmful. And it, it, it stuck, stuck with me, obviously, cause I'm talking to you about it now. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's funny. My dad, uh, used to say like my parents were divorced and I would go spend the summers with my dad. And obviously I was, I was, uh, odd. And, yeah. and his excuse was always like, he's artistic or he's, you know, well, he's raised by his mother. That's his problem. That guy doesn't know what uh, he's doing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but you know, those are actually like, uh, the other thing about going into art class and getting into a group of that. And, and it's sort of like what I found was that that's where the, those are the islands of broken toys. You know, <laughs> that's where you yeah. find your tribe. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I, I have a song that I wrote recently that's hopefully going to be on a, an upcoming album. That's sort of about that. I, I reunited uh, on social media with a, a friend of mine who's a straight guy who was one of my best friends in high school, but we were kind of like, we, uh, it's funny because, uh, we try. we had a, an AFI cover band for like a month that we just rehearsed, <laughs> you know, we would just play really bad AFI covers in, in our friend's garage. But like, it was like you said, it was like, you know, I had a lot of straight friends, but they were kind of the friends who were like punks or art people or yeah. musicians yeah. or goths or whatever, you know, like it, it, it was like a, it was a space that was kind of like queer adjacent, even yes, if not exactly everyone right. in that group was queer. Right. So, yeah. Out- outcasts from the norm, normal people. Not yeah. Sitting- like you said, the Island of Misfit toys yeah. is very, yeah. Yeah. But it's nice. It's nice to find that. sort. So, okay. So what kind of music, uh, like, because you're not that your music is all over the place, but your, your record, the one before the landscapes is a lot, is a lot more rock then, then yeah. this one's almost like almost like a modern kind of like Americana singer songwriter record. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I. Oh, sorry. Well, what, sorry what was what going was on question? musically in, inspiring you? Like, uh, obviously, AFI must have been some kind of big thing to you. But what was the music <laughs> that made you want to go out and, and do this? I mean, it, you know, that was the other cool thing is that my musical upbringing was really diverse. Um you know, when I was really little, my parents were really conservative and there was a time where I was only allowed to listen to Christian music. Um, and I, and I really loved, and I still love Amy Grant. I think she's a great songwriter. Um, and she like, she kind of revolutionized, uh, what became contemporary Christian music. Um, and then she also was like the first, the first like crossover artist. Yeah. 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 And she got a lot of shit for that too. Like she was really kind of for a while. Um, she also was divorced uh, in the late 80s, which was also like a big no-no. Yeah. Um, of course, no one ever said anything about her husband, her ex-husband. It was always, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. the woman's yeah, yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but eventually, like, my parents started to kind of uh, become a little more open and progressive. And, and eventually, they started playing the music that they grew up with, which was, you know, like, my mom uh, really loved Janis Joplin and Carole King. And my dad really loved like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, uh, James Taylor, uh, you know, like a lot of that kind of seventies folk rock stuff. So that, that previous album landscapes that you mentioned was, 
really for me, uh, sonically influenced by that kind of, uh, kind of Laurel, Laurel Canyon kind of seventies folk rock thing. Um, and we recorded it kind of live in the studio with the band kind of, I was like, I want to record it like, you know, like Jackson Brown's these days, you know, like where it feels like the band's playing. Um, so that was a big influence. And I think like when I was like a, a teenager, I kind of, I was always like a little behind the musical time. So I, it was sort of like late nineties, early two thousands, but I was really into like the early nineties alternative stuff, like the cranberries and, uh, Alanis Morissette. And, um, I really love like the, the Lilith fair stuff. Cause that kind of had that folk rock thing that felt familiar. It was felt like a nineties take on what, what my parents kind of brought me up on. Cheryl Crow was really big. And I think that's then where I kind of started to get into Americana cause right. she kind of crosses that boundary. Um, and then I of course went through a stage, I think like most kids where I was really into punk and emo. Um, and so I really loved Jimmy Eat world. I, I really loved AFI, which is kind of a different kind of, uh, kind of punk scene. But, um, so I've always kind of like, I think, like you said, like, I know you said my music isn't all over the place, but it kind of is. Yeah. Um, and that's just because there's just a lot of different music that I really love. And I, and I think I hear, I hear weird connections, like, like stylistic connections that I think, and not that I'm saying like, Oh, I hear stuff that other people don't hear, but you know, I can hear the connection between like Cheryl Crow and, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, or like, yeah, you know, Jimmy Eat World and like, you know, 80s New Wave or, you know, like I, I can hear kind of where those, I like, to, I, I hear more similarities, I think, than I hear differences. Right. And I, I think I like to kind of throw that into what I do however I can. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this record, Renovations. I like that name. <laughs> yeah has it been has it been a time of like personal change and yeah and yeah For are sure. you, are I mean, you in I your think, early, sorry to interrupt you are you in your early 30s i am not oh. i am actually older than that <laughs> i'm well, actually 40 okay well there's a yeah. point there's a point as a as a, in your development as a human being i think like you become an adult you're in your 20s you're yeah. doing this especially us that have a little bit more of a stunted development <laughs> yeah, for yeah sure. so i'm a musician as well but i'm 54 and there's things that my friends went through years before i did because yeah. i lived this sort of like juvenile life and was allowed to because it was everyone yeah. thought it was so cute but um but, but there's a point in uh there's a movie called magnolia do you know this movie yeah okay yeah there's there's just a thing that that i think happens to you and it's a real thing and they say it in the movie uh you might be done with the past, but the past isn't done with you. There's like a point in your life yeah. where you can't progress any further without doing something about the shit that haunt, like doing something about your baggage. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel very much like the last couple of years have been that for me. I think part of it was, you know, I kind of, um, I have been, I think I started exploring my gender identity, you know, a little later because I teach college and I think like I teach, I teach like theater kids and like musicians and stuff. And, and I was teaching um, a few years back in Philly and I had a couple of students who were non-binary and I was just like, Oh my God, like I, 
didn't know this was a thing. And I was like, this is like a, you know, I've never felt like a guy, but I've never, I've also haven't felt like a woman either. I feel very attuned to different kind of aspects of gender across the spectrum. And so it was one of the things where it was like, I was learning from a younger generation um, language that I just never had. If I had had it, I think I would have come sort of to terms with it earlier. Um, you know, I also was in a relationship for from the time I was 18 until the time I was in my early 30s. And, you know, like... One single of, relationship? Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, and I, I, I think that I, you know, I have... I, that relationship has been done for, for years now, but I think I'm still kind of processing a lot of the effects of it because I think, like, it was a very codependent relationship. And so I think in a lot of ways I kind of stunted myself to please my ex. And, and, you know, so I think now I'm coming back and I'm, I have a, a partner who's like uh, not <laughs> into that, into that codependent thing. And it's sort of like you, I want you to be your own person and all right. that stuff. So, um, when- and then of course the pandemic and, and kind of all that stuff, like I feel like it made everyone reassess right. a whole lot sure. about what their priorities were. So yeah, it's been a time of a lot of, I think, kind of taking stock and um, recalibrating and reassessing and and also just realizing that that never really ends, you know, that like you're never just like static and like, okay, I know who I am and that's not changing. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's one of those fucked up things. There's no like... There's no emotional finish line where then you get to cruise through the rest no. of your life doing this. It's always in development. But that's kind of, I don't know. Like, I think like, yeah, that could be fucked up and scary and awful, or it could be like really awesome because it's awesome. It's like, exhausting. Oh, oh totally. <laughs> but I think in terms of like, you know, stuff that I've been doing artistically and musically, I think like there is a part of me that is um, sort of like, God, you know, like I'm, I'm a little old to be like a new, a newcomer, you know, like, you know, how embarrassing, but sometimes I'm just like, why the fuck not? Like, you know, why not get back to the thing that I, that I wanted to do when I was a teenager and didn't allow myself to do. And, you know, yeah, that's definitely a weird hang up to have on there because, uh, because really like your work is incredible. Like it really is like you're, you're really, you're really powerful and strong songwriter. Um, I want to get into some of this songwriting stuff, but I do have a question. Um, and, and that is when, when, when you realized where you landed in the gender spectrum, mm-hmm. did you, how did you feel after that? Did you feel like, oh, I understand myself even a little better now? How can other people not? Yeah, I mean... I think that I think that a thing that I'm still dealing with, even aside from all the gender shit, is like my tendency to define myself based on how other people see me. So I think, yes, at first there was this like feeling of like, oh, this makes so much sense. This feels like home. But almost immediately then there was like, oh, my God, like, how do I make other people understand this? You know, like how do... I already came out to my parents years ago and I got, now I got to come out to them again, you know, like, so it wasn't like it was this place where I was just like, Oh great. Everything's wonderful. Now it sort of brought up a whole lot of other anxieties because it's sort of like, 
Because I think, um, I think if you look at the news today, you'll see that people have barely even come to accept like gay people, like, like homosexuality. Yes. But then you throw, you throw gender into it. Like, you know, it's sort of like people are like, well, I get gay people. I like, but gender, like, you know, like non-binary trans, what is that? Like, um, so it, it's, yeah. And I, I mean, to and, be, and that's a lot about what the record is about. Yeah. As I'm sure you, you pick up on yeah. It's like, you know, well, there is, I mean, even for me, um, like I'm, I'm 54. That's just a little mm-hmm. bit ahead of you in age. But when that started coming out as a thing, there was like, my first reaction was like, what the fuck? What, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what now yeah. are people saying? But then you realize that, you know, you go back through your Rolodex of human beings you've known through your life and you're like, oh, this person doesn't fit into a clean box. Yeah. And he d- yeah. they don't have well, and to. And that's kind of been the thing with me, at least with the people who know and, and truly have seen me throughout my life and love me, is most of them are kind of like, okay, like, you're explaining to this, this to me and actually, like, this makes perfect sense. Like, this is totally... Because the thing is, like, I didn't have the language for it. Obviously, the other people in my life also didn't have the language for it. And we're all kind of on a learning curve. I'm still kind of, like, deprogramming. You know, like, I still, uh, you know, I mess up with people's pronouns. Like, you know, and and I'm a person who who, who wants people to respect mine. But, you know, like, we're programmed that we see a person, you know, who looks a certain way or dresses a certain way or has a certain tone to their voice or maybe has facial hair or whatever. And we're like, that is a man or that is a boy or whatever, you know, and we're programmed to kind of uh, read these things that have been coded, you know, by society um, to indicate like you are this or you are that. And so to start to try to readjust the, I I think that's the hardest thing is that, um, at least for me, and I think for a lot of other non-binary and trans people, it's it's not just about like, oh, I want you to practice my pronouns and get it right so you don't offend me. It's actually also like, I want you to start to try to examine how you see gender, right? So, so that when you see a person walking down the street with a beard, right. you don't immediately say like, in your brain, like that's a man. You say like, okay, maybe like I'll use they, them, until I know what that person's right. pronouns are. Like right. I'm going to default to neutral or whatever, because, right. because you don't know what, what, per, what someone's, you know, like how you look on the outside doesn't always fit within a neat category of how you feel on the inside. Right. Um, but anyway, that's like, we could talk, we could do a whole conversation on gender, but that's not what this is about. Well, I don't get to have those conversations a lot. And I feel like it's a conversation that, um, when it's had can be really heated for no reason. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and to have a calm conversation where you can explain to somebody where you're coming from as, as another yeah. human being and a person, you know, that's not a total asshole, uh, yeah. you know, can, can ask questions that, that are like legitimately good. Well, thank you for being open. I really appreciate it. Jessica. Well, and like we, Oh no, no problem. That's kind of, that's, I don't really know how to not be open. That's just kind of like, I mean, that's like where my songs come from. It's sort of like, I can't, I don't have a whole lot of uh, ability to to censor in that way, but 
for better or for worse. I, I had a feeling listening to your music and stuff that we, we weren't <laughs> going to have a hard time talking. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, all right. So this record renovations, um, uh, where, where did you record it? First of all, um, this was, so the, the last album I had done, like, like I said, live in a studio, mm-hmm. um, I spent a lot of my own money on landscapes, um, and I'm very proud of it. Um, this one, I was like, I have these songs. They're really important to me. I know I want to release them, but I cannot, you know, I don't have a record deal. Um, I, I can't spend that kind of money. So it really was kind of a labor of love. So my, my, my friend Alex uh, Calabrese, who uh, produced it with me, um, we started by just kind of recording. He has some really great equipment in his basement. And we started by just kind of recording. Uh, we sort of built the tracks, um, like starting with like piano, vocal, acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. and then, you know, sending them to musicians that I love and having them add parts and all that stuff. So we recorded it, a lot of it at his house um, in Grafton, Massachusetts. Um, we did some stuff at a place called the record company, which is a local nonprofit uh, recording studio in Boston. That's really awesome. Um, so yeah, it, w- it was a, it was largely a, a DIY kind of uh, situation, but we, we tried very hard to make it, you know, sound, you know, a little more polished than a DIY record. It, it I mean, DIY, fucking great. DIY records and, are awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the the fact is, is uh, they did a great job of capturing you, your uh, performances and your voice and everything as, uh, and it's, I think it sounds great and has a great feel to it. Are you, a, are you a pretty uh, diligent writer? Um, you know, I have become more so. Um, I used to really struggle with like writing when I didn't, I I think I really operated for a long time under this like myth that like we're supposed to have, you know, the muse will strike us and, and, you know, we'll be inspired. And, um, but, uh, but Alex and I, a couple years back, actually during, during the pandemic, he, I didn't know him. He reached out to me on social media because we had mutual musician friends and he was like, I really love co-writing and collaborating with like local people. And, um, I'm trying to do it on zoom right now. Cause it was the middle of sure. uh, the quarantine. And he was like, Hey, would you co-write with me? And I was like, okay. And I, you know, I, I hadn't done a lot of co-writing at that point. Um, it felt kind of scary and intimate and weird. And here was this like random straight guy that I'd never met, like wanting me to come and be vulnerable and co-write. Yeah. Um, but we really hit it off. We've become like best friends and, uh, that kind of led into a, okay, well let's do it again next week and let's do it again next yeah, week. And, yeah. um, when, when we can, when, when one of us isn't touring or whatever, we actually try to do weekly, like co-writing. Oh, that's things, great. Which has really helped me to just feel like, okay, we're like, we, we're going to spend a couple hours and come up with something, even if it's shit, even if we throw it out, like we're just going to get into the habit of just writing and trying to finish a song for better or for worse. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think I've become a little more of a faithful writer, but, um, I do tend to kind of concentrate more on it when I'm trying to write an album. Um, so it, it is kind of like, we, we do that regularly, but like in terms of like 
writing on my own and stuff, I, I tend to kind of get into these spurts where I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to get ready to write another album or whatever. Yeah. It does take a little yeah. bit. Cause it's like, uh, I, I think it, no one explains it to you as a young songwriter that like, it's like uh, the equivalent of uh, like, if you want to run a marathon and have like, get a really good time in that marathon you can't just wake up one day and run 26 miles. <laughs> like you gotta, no, you gotta get yeah, out and run exactly. 26 miles every day for a while yeah. until it becomes like second nature. And then all of a sudden you get to a new level of greatness. I mean, there's so many different, like I know amazing fucking songwriters that are, you know, they, every song you've heard on the thing, that's how many songs they've written. You know what I mean? Like there's like, yeah, they're just yeah. fucking good at it. <laughs> and they, they, they know the combination and they can access greatness at any moment. But for me, I've got to be uh, like somewhat warmed up yeah. to, to be able to, to, I think in to general, tap into that. I think in general, I've also learned that like for me, a good system that works is just like, because I'm always thinking about songs, even if I'm not sitting down at a piano to write them. Um, so like one thing that I've learned is that like, if I'm out, I, I, things come to me usually when I'm not like in a room sitting down, it's usually when I'm like out moving or something. So like, I, I like to go on runs and walks and stuff. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll voice memo something or, you know, I'll come up with a couplet sure. or like, or even just a metaphor, just a, like a cool line or something. Yeah. And I just like my, my notes section on my phone is like, just this like random, it's just a whole bunch of random like scraps of things. Yeah. And a lot of times I find that if I do that for long enough and then I come back and I look at them, like I'll be like, Oh, like these things that came to me on different days that seem unrelated actually because my head was in a certain place during yeah. that, those few weeks. Yeah. So they actually come together and they actually can make a song. Um, and I found that that's a lot less intimidating than being like sitting down in front of a blank page and being like, I have to write something. Yeah. Yeah, that is, and you get that deer in the headlights, and then you're like, "How do you write a song?" Like you've, you've yeah. written a bunch of, yeah. you can't even remember how you start. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. So you do tour some? You get out and hit the road? Yeah. Um. I haven't toured a whole lot. I've toured the last two summers. I toured. I tried to do so. I I teach um at uh, Boston Conservatory, which is part of Berkeley College of Music. So I try to tour when I have a break from teaching just because it's easier than having to miss part of the semester. Sure. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to do like a winter tour during winter break and a summer tour during summer break. Um, mostly I've done mostly like the Eastern part of the U S right now, like Northeast, Southeast, that kind of area. Do you go play like um, Rockwood in New York? I haven't, um, actually, but Speaking I'm of places doing that a had show. Good pianos. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a show at that. Now there's a Rockwood in Boston. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, and they, I guess they're, they, they're, they just opened and are trying to kind of book out their year. So they actually reached out to me <laughs> and were like, Hey, do you want to do a show? And I was like, that's cool. I've usually I'm emailing bookers and getting no responses. So I have a show there. Um, but I haven't done the Rockwood in New York and I know that's kind of a good, a lot of people, uh, cause they have that, um, 
they have that like second stage, right? Yeah, that they kind have of a couple like of rooms. Smaller. Yeah, that smaller yeah. room has a really nice piano in it, from what I remember. Oh, cool! That's yeah. actually really good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going out actually this fall with my friend um, Adim, the artist, who's kind of uh, a kind of up and coming uh, non-binary. Uh, queer country person. Yeah, just um, somebody else I know is touring with them. Yeah, so they, they're doing a big tour, and I think they have um, My Politic, uh, who are friends of theirs, and someone else I can't remember, and um, this artist named Flamey Grant, who's a, who's a drag uh, a drag <laughs> performer, but like a, a really great singer-songwriter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Adeem's taking me on a couple northeastern things, which is cool because they've they've kind of blown up recently. Um, they did a, um, I mean, they had an incredible album come out last year, but then recently they did like a, a parody of that uh, Jason Aldean. Oh, really? Trash that came out. Yeah, and it, it kind of uh, it kind of blew them up and made them viral, and they've kind of gotten a really big audience from that too. So, um, so yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited for them and I'm excited that they're willing to kind of take me along yeah. for the ride. <laughs> Do you tour them by yourself when you? Yeah. Yeah. Usually I've done, I've just put together my own tours and tried to book them myself. Um, but I am trying to kind of, I'm, I'm glad that Adim is taking me on the, some of these opening dates. Cause you know, I, I, that's kind of the next thing is like being like, Hey, like I'm a person who's available to open for slightly more established artist um so i i would like to do more of that because i know that's kind of it, uh a kind of uh next kind of step in right in the process so. do you do any of those like have you ever done south by southwest or anything um i'm talking to i met a promoter at a uh or i met a person at a a so far sound show in dc recently and she books for one of the South by venues. And so she was talking to me about that. So I, I tentatively may be doing the next one. That'd be cool. Um, Stay and in I'm touch doing let me know if you come Fest. down. Oh, you are doing Americana Fest? Yeah. Yeah. I have a showcase uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, at it's on September 23rd at Anzi blue Hillsborough village. Uh, at 7 p.m. If anyone is going to be at Americana Fest, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that should be a fun one. Yeah, yeah. I went last year. Like, I didn't, I wasn't an official artist last year, but I just went down because I've connected with a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of queer and also like BIPOC uh, Americana people. Yeah. Um, making waves in, in country and Americana. Um, so I went down just to kind of network and meet some of the people I had met online. And I'm really excited to actually be like an official artist this year. Did you by chance meet Jamie Harris or Mary Gaucher? I haven't met them yet. Like, you know, who they are. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I was saying to someone the other day that I keep, especially when I'm down in Nashville, I'm, I will like, run into people and we'll have this moment where, where we'll be like, have we actually met yet? Or do we just interact online so right, much right. that it feels like we've met? So I've kind of like uh, emailed back and forth with Mary. Um, I haven't really interacted a lot with Jamie, but I think we're doing um, 
there's this uh, event at Americana Fest this year called Americana Proud. Okay. So someone got together a bunch of queer artists, and okay. I believe Jamie is on that with me. So I will hopefully meet her. Yeah. Soon. Jamie's. Yeah. They're, they're both fabulous. Jamie's a really dear friend of mine. Like we write together, and I put out an EP a few years ago they're that she ex- sang back up on, and and I've I've had uh, I've had uh, both of them on the show, but uh, but I've had some heavy conversations with Gaucher. Oh yeah, I, Mary Gaucher is like not afraid of having those kind of conversations. And, and I think her music also reflects that. Like oh, she, yeah. she really goes in, and they're both incredible songwriters. They're oh, yeah. definitely kind of, uh, idols of mine sort of, um, don't, Me too. don't tell them because <laughs> no, I, I don't mind telling them they don't, uh, uh, Gaucher is one of those that, that spends at least 40 hours on a song. Like that conversation always makes me feel like I'm, fucking yeah like the drummer of Def Leppard or something like just that like I'm not happening in the world of songwriting although but it's good but it's also awesome to hear that because her songs sound like she did they sound so no but they 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 do but they also sound like it's like she's one of those people that makes it seem easy yeah you know what I mean like the songs are so organic and they feel they feel really well constructed, but they also feel like just the way that human beings talk. Yeah. You know, they feel almost like they fell out of her. Right. So it's really cool when you learn that even those people, they actually had to really like craft that and really mm-hmm. work. Like, it's not like she just wakes up and writes a song. Yeah. That's like an instant classic. I think it, for me that I actually like hearing those things because I'm just kind of like, cool. So like, it's not just easy for you. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Did you read her book? Yeah. I haven't read it yet. It looks, it's, Sadly. It's, it goes heavily into that stuff. And there's some real, actually some real, there's like a thing where she's, uh, explains kind of the one thing that, that is her main trick as a songwriter is to zero, we'll zero in on something as writers. And her thing yeah. is when she's zeroing in on something to pull the camera back is what she calls it. And, and look around yeah. and see what else is happening in there and how, that action that you were zeroing in on is affecting the rest of the world. It's, it's fucking genius, man. That's beautiful. I, I was just, so I was just in Nashville um, working on what I hope will be my next album with, um, I don't know if you know, Aaron Lee Tastian. Oh yeah. Um, so he's a friend of mine and he's going to, the plan is that he'll produce my next album, but we were writing together and we were kind of talking. It was the first time we had ever written together and Um, early on I was saying, you know, like I tend to like think of songs like in a kind of cinematic way, like I might not have like a line, but I know what's happening in the story. And then it's about like, Oh, I have to figure out how to make that, you know, fit in this amount of syllables or whatever. But, but so it's really cool to hear, uh, Mary Gaucher talk about kind of like talk about it in kind of a cinematic, uh, kind of visual way. Yeah. Because that's that's something that really vibes with me. So that's cool. Yeah. So um, here's a question I have for you. How is your relationship with your parents now? It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah so, you know, the my um, when I was in high school, um, I, I came out. Um, well, I mean, it, it didn't start in the great way. It was sort of more like um, my mom finding a journal sort of thing situation. But um, we kind of dealt with that ourselves, especially me and my dad. Um, And we, 
became a whole lot closer because of it. And he actually, he sort of like reevaluated his whole idea about his religion because of it. He was sort of like, well, um, you know, this changes everything. Like, you know, cause I know my child is not, you know, this like spawn of Satan. So maybe it, it sort of started him on this path of like, well, if I was wrong about, you know, sexuality, you know, what else, have I been wrong about what else have I just kind of taken um, at face value because someone told me this was the way it was. And so, um, you know, I'm, our whole family kind of, uh, I mean, it, it was also really shitty because the church that we were in at the time found out and like forced my dad out because he wouldn't, um, uh. he wouldn't condemn me from, from the pulpit basically. But I think like, again, like it was one of those things where I think as a family, I mean, I think it just kind of, um, I think we came together as a family and sort of, I think, I think it helped us all kind of develop a lot more empathy. Um, you know, and I, I think that often happens where people will find out, um, that someone they know and love is queer or trans or whatever. And, 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 and often it will be like, Oh shit. Well, I love this person. Um, you know, I can't, that makes me look at this differently. And then maybe that makes them look at other people differently. Not always, not everyone's that lucky, but. No. Well, man, this has been great talking to you. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, Abby, <laughs> you're, you're a fantastic songwriter and just such a great artist. And to see where it comes from uh, is, and I was also, I, you know, I'm sure talking to you now when you're in a more thoughtful and reflective place, you know, I'm sure there were times when you weren't able to really, verbalize it as well as you can now or communicate the the, the feelings that you have as yeah. well so you really have a great understanding but it's a it really been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you thanks yeah it's a lot of uh not just songwriting but therapy too yeah <laughs> therapy actually played a big part in this album as well i you know uh, which we didn't really talk about but i think like uh a lot of times my my therapist will give me like homework or something to think about it and it just turns into a song instead yeah. And I, you know, she's just learned that that's just how I process a lot. So, um, you know, again, hence the renovations thing. It's sort of like making changes and yeah. Yeah. That was uh, my, the latest therapist that I got with had like a whole, like, I need the whole catalog, buddy. I need to, <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I need to see what I'm dealing with here. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, um, it's been great talking to you and people should check out this record renovations. It's available wherever it is. You stream and download music and everything. Um, if you do make it to South by Southwest, please let me know. I'll connect with you on, uh, on social media or something and, and just stay in yeah. touch. Totally. I'll yeah. It's been it fantastic meeting you and talking to you. And I look forward to seeing you play live and hearing more music. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Same. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thank you. Take care. You too. Gang, that's Jesse DeSilva. Their brand new album, Renovations, out now. Go see them this week playing. They'll be opening for Adeem the Artist. Go to jessedmusic.com. I want to thank Jesse for doing the show. I really had a great time getting to know them. Uh, And I feel like I do have a friend. Don't you think so? We, We connected. We connected, baby. 
All right, man. So while you're out there checking out jessedmusic.com, don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, new shows every Tuesday and every Friday. Uh, and on Saturdays, every once in a while, we drop a From the Vault episode. Go back and check out the live. I had Doug Wimbish from Living Color a couple weeks ago. I, I had uh, uh, Bobby Sparks, legendary keyboard player from uh, Snarky Puppy, from uh, St. Vincent, from Tower of Power. These are all the people he's played with. Go out there and check it out. And check out Jesse De Silva while you get the chance. jessedmusic.com. Have a great week, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. It's such a fucking drag to be perceived. This Get you off my mind Tell me how do I get rid of you Cause you're making me a monster I don't wanna be a warrior That's not what I'm inclined to But when I'm with this for The world just sees a monster Fill up your diversity quota Not interested much in being brave Got enough good intentions here To tide me over So let's leave this road to hell Somebody you don't want to understand I'm not your devil I am not your friend I'm just something that you'll never ever comprehend This you can get you off my mind Tell me how do I get rid of you you're making me a monster Yeah.